Um, we've been in a series called Origins where we're talking about calling. And so that's something that we all deal with, we all process. And what we've learned is that a lot of times what series do, messages on Sunday, is they spark questions. Now, we believe Sundays are not necessarily the place we grow. It's the place we gain the things that God wants to use the rest of the week to bring growth within us. And so it's basically an invitation to a conversation. And so we want to model regularly what it looks like to have these conversations with people who love Jesus. The community is actually really important. So I'm going to invite the guys that are going to be part of the panel uh, this morning to jump up. And we have asked people to send questions in. We're going to take some questions and process together around calling to maybe bring a little bit more clarity. And maybe this would be one of the questions that you would have in the process. Um, we've talked the first week. Alex did a great job talking about our calling as humans is to be image bearers. The second week, we kind of had a timeout, if you remember right, and we talked about joy. And then we jumped back in with, as disciples, our calling in the world is to be ambassadors of reconciliation wherever you are. Doesn't matter what you do, you don't have to go to Africa just to experience a calling, that wherever you are, we get to be Jesus representatives. Show the love of Jesus, and then lastly, as individuals, what does it mean to be transformed by the renewing of our mind and so that we get what God thinks and likes and we live in that way? And so, Alex, I'm going to turn it over to you if you don't mind and take us on this journey. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. My name is Alex. I'm one of the staff pastors here as well. And we are joined on the panel today by Ken Gates and Jeremy Pettit. Jeremy is a communications professor at Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. Ken Gates is in private practice and also helps lead the young adults ministry here at Hope Co. Both of them are part of the teaching team, which is a group of folks that we get together once a month to process what does the church need to hear, what do we believe God is speaking to us, that we can then bring to the collective to provoke the conversations where growth happens. And so we're really excited uh, for them to be able to join us today and have this conversation about calling, because calling is one of those topics that we talk about that has this like really vague, conceptual, kind of up in the clouds idea, but at the same time feels very, very close to home. Because it has to do with some of the biggest decisions in our lives. Where do I move? What do I do with my life? Who do I marry? Where do I go to school? And all of these really practical questions that we're asking that seem to be lost up in the air with this idea of calling. So we're really glad uh, that you guys are joining us for this conversation today. And I want to kick things off um, kind of on that idea of how calling is often this thing that is both in the clouds and very, very personal at the same time, is how specific is God's calling for my life? Because sometimes we hear people talk about this idea of calling, and it seems to be very, very grounded and detailed in terms of like, okay, I knew I was supposed to go to this country or talk to this person or like, okay, God, do I have Cheerios or Fruit Loops for breakfast? Like we need that level of detail <laughs> in order to move forward. But then other times people talk about it and it's just kind of this vague, like, you know, as long as you don't do X, Y, and Z, you can do whatever you want. So how would you guys respond to that question of how specific does God's calling on my life, does God's will for my life get? Well, I'll jump in because uh, I think that's a, it's a significant question and relevant in a number of different ways. Um, I work with a lot of young people, and one of the things that I find with young people who are you know, facing decisions about their life is a tendency to get paralyzed with those decisions because there's this idea that I'm supposed to take one path. Yep. And I gotta figure out what that one path is, and once I, take, once I find that one path, then I'm stuck on it, right? And so there's a lot of anxiety that gets generated from that, so much so that it can become paralyzing, right? So when we think that God's calling for me is very specific, 
there's anxiety that comes with it. Oh, what, what if I get that wrong? What if I screw that up? What if I miss that, right? Uh, is God going to be like, oh, sorry, you know, you, you blew it, right? Now you're going to walk without me, right? And I, I, I tend to not think about it that way at all. I actually think that God's calling in that sense is much broader. Um, in, in other words, his desire for us is that we be, be a certain type of person, right? That we, that we are a certain way, and that's not dependent on what we do. Which job do I take? Which house do I move into? Should I be a missionary? Shouldn't I be a missionary, right? It's much more dependent on am I walking with him? And there's this, there's this idea out there that I think that we get invited into that when I walk with God closely enough, when I hear his voice, when I'm attuned to him, that I, I have a freedom to make decisions. In other words, when I know God's heart well enough, I have the freedom to choose, right? Yeah. And I think that that delights him. I was thinking earlier about my kids who, who go off to college, right, and I... I stand back and I start to see them making decisions. And it actually brings me joy when my boys don't call every moment, Dad, should I do this? Dad, should I do that? What should I do about this? What should I do about that? It actually brings me joy when I see them living out the values that we taught them on their own, right? They've made that decision. That brings my heart joy. And I think it's the same way for God. When we know his heart well enough, we don't need to be, God, should I do this? God, should I do that? We actually can step into that and there's freedom or it's an expression of freedom. And, and now I work with a lot of young people as well and felt the same level. And, and, but also, even in talking with adults, the same level of anxiety about, I, I don't want to get it wrong, uh, but I need to have this, uh, almost like this, I have to have this experience that, you know, I've got this call from God to go. Um, so, and, and I get a lot of students in my office, almost like they're waiting for uh, their burning bush. Um, and, and I just want to, you know, make something clear. Uh, the burning bush was a really unique experience. <laughs> I mean, one time. It, it happened once. <laughs> just be clear. It's the definition of unique. Right. One of a so, kind. So, and yet we have this, they have this sense of like, I, I didn't have that and I'm waiting on it. And if I don't have a burning bush experience and I don't know which way I'm, then I obviously am not called by God and I don't. Okay, hold on. I just want you to look real quick with me in Matthew, if you want to turn there, chapter 2, okay? And just ask a couple questions if you can't get there. Has anybody ever heard of Eliakim, um, Azor, Abiad? Oh, yeah, they're in, they're in yeah, Matthew. Yeah, in, in Matthew, yeah, chapter, oh, sorry, one. <laughs> you never heard of these people. They didn't have a burning bush experience. And yet all these people are faithful people that are actually in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, they lived their lives faithful to the things that God placed in front of them, took care of their families, served in their communities, and did the things that God allowed them to do. They don't have a burning bush experience. They don't have an, an annunciation of the angel Gabriel to Mary. They don't have that. This is not something that we should be looking around going, we're expecting that to happen. So how do I make a decision? How do I get some sense of where I should go? I spend a lot of time, actually, with the students that I'm working with just telling them, like, let's just start with what you're not good at. Okay? Uh, Dave should not organize your triathlon. Let, let's start there. You don't have, you know, this is not a good idea. Let's start there. But then I ask them a question. And the question that I ask them uh, is, and a question just I'd ask you to reflect on, um, where do you see the heart of God breaking and what are you going to do about it? Mm. 
Where do you see the heart of God breaking, and what are you going to do about it? Why? Because when you see the heart of God breaking, it's resonating deep inside you, like Dave talked about last week with affinity. This is something that's connected to me. And the one thing that I've learned over my entire life working with students and even in my own life is this, that my greatest pain is always connected to my greatest joy. Always. So when I see that moment and look out and see people that are broken and struggling in this particular area, I see the heart of God breaking. My greatest joy comes when I start to see healing and growth and freedom in that area. So how, if I see the heart of God breaking in that particular space when I'm looking around, how do I step into that? What ways and opportunities are there for me to step into that? That is the open space that Ken's talking about. Freedom to explore so that I can yep. discover, like Ephesians chapter 2 says, the good works that he planned for me advance there it is. to do based on his love for me to then enjoy seeing him work in the world as freedom spreads to other people. But Jeremy, this raises a problem for me or, or, okay. or a concern. Because what, what we're talking about here is a, a life that's patterned after being attuned to God, right? Where we know his heart. We know what, what, what God values. We know what God cares about, right? So much so that we can actually step into the things. We can discern through choices. But I, I'm afraid that I think we live very much not dependent on God. True. Uh, that, that we are able to live our lives not actually having to seek him, not actually having to understand him, not actually having to do that. We have I mean, let's face it, let's just be honest. We can actually go through our weeks and not be dependent on God. We can say that we are, but we can actually function as if we're not. I mean, we have, we have science and we have experts, right? And we have metrics and we have all these things and we have refrigerators, right? We have all these things that keep us from being dependent on God. But the very thing that we're talking about, actually, it... it, it requires a dependence on God. It requires a, I know his voice, right? I can discern his will. I can discern his direction. And we're not very used to doing that, living that way, right? So, so in order to step into the freedom that we're talking about, there really needs to be a cultivated pattern of depending on God, which I think is actually really difficult in our, in our country. Wow. I'd go so far to say it's, it's very disruptive yeah. to the way that we've learned how to live our lives because each of us have created these these patterns these habits like we have learned how to navigate our life so far with what we've been given in this state of non-dependence and there's this this knock yeah. on the door of our souls by the holy spirit to say hey um some things need to change here yeah. and sometimes this question of calling and vocation is almost like a little crack in the door because we realize that we don't have this answer on our own mm -hmm. and we actually need to press into this area and ask some tough questions and allow god to shape us to become the kind of people that naturally do what God would already want us to do. Wow. I want to um, circle back to you, Jeremy. You mentioned these two questions that you bring up to uh, students of this idea of discovering what you're not good at and pressing into where do I see the heart of God breaking and what am I going to do about it? And I feel like if we were to take those two questions, those are an incredible starting point and we could, we could leave now and have conversations in community and in prayer and get some really meaningful responses to that and some clarity in our calling. And there's another group of people in here that maybe you've gotten closer to this idea of what is God calling you to do, but there's this underlying question that comes with that of if I, if I know what God is asking me to do, why is it still hard? 
why am I not seeing the fruit that I thought I would see? Why am I not making the progress that I thought I would make? Because I figured it out, right? Like, I know what God has for me, and yet it's really difficult. Speak to that. Would you, like, what, how, what's going on there? So I think there's two things we need to address in, in talking about this. Because we have an assumption, like, we're going to go, God wants us to do something, so if we're going to do it, uh, hey, when we go to do that, it should be just... Uh, the water's parting all the time. That's kind of our expectation is this like, okay. Uh, so the first thing we need to address though is a, a, a concept that's overarching to all of humanity. So let's start there. In the garden, we had the kind of space where we could explore and, and, and create and learn and grow. And, and hey, you know what? He gave us a ton of agency to make choices and to do things. But Adam and Eve decided they wanted more. They wanted to be like God. And so they ate of the fruit that he told them not to eat of. And in the process, as he's processing the consequences of making that choice, he's talking to Adam, but he's also talking to all of us. And if you want to open, it's Genesis 3. Uh, it is verse 17. And it says, To the man he said, Since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree, whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. And all of your life, you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow, will you have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made? Uh, this, from this moment on, all of our work is hard. So let's just all say this together. Work is hard. So if you're going to do something for the kingdom of God and you're going, well, I thought it would be easy. I don't know why it's not easy. What else is easy? I must have missed my calling. Right. I missed my calling because it's not easy. Really? Everything is hard. You don't That's live right. in a world like it's supposed to be. Surprise. You're shocked. You're like, I thought work was all supposed to be. No. So the first thing we need to acknowledge is work will always be hard. Until he comes back, work will be hard. But the second thing we got to pay attention to, which is what we talked about in our last series, is that the devil is real and he hates you. Yep. He does. And, and he has designed a world that follows after the ways he thinks and the lies that he spreads to oppose you when you do the work of God. So when you step into calling, when you step into something that God wants you to do, you should expect it to be more difficult than just hard work. Yeah. Hebrews 11. You want to turn there real quick with me? Hebrews 11. We'll start in verse 33. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back from death. Whew. You want to be one of those people, right? That sounds really good. Put armies to flight, bring people back from the dead. Yeah. Hold on. <clears throat> but others were tortured refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at, and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prison. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half. Others were killed with the sword. Some went wearing sheep, the skins of sheep and goats, destitute, oppressed, and mistreated. They were too good for this world. That doesn't 
sound easy, but do you know what this chapter is called? It's called the Hall of Faith. It's the hall of people that faithfully lived out in the world, the calling that God gave them to be the people that he meant for them to be. Wow. That doesn't mean it was going to be easy. In fact, it means it's going to be hard. Generally speaking, uh, one of the things that I talk with my students about is where you faced resistance is probably a good compass that you're heading in the right direction. That's right. So if you were expecting it to be, now it doesn't mean it's not going to be fruitful, but work is hard and the world's against you. But God is faithful. I feel like Paul is like a really good case study of how, you know, somebody with a, a very clear sense of calling experienced all sorts of suffering. And he lays that all out in 2 Corinthians 11 where he's talking about, you know, I've been shipwrecked. I've been beaten with rocks. I've been beaten with whips. The Jews are trying to kill me. The Gentiles are trying to kill me. Everybody's trying to kill me. I'm in constant danger for my life. But there's this sense of, and I'm not going to stop. That's because right. it was his calling that sustained him in the suffering. And then he goes on to talk about how his suffering actually shapes him for his calling. Because then in Romans 3, he's talking about all of the, like the language is suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance produces character. And character produces hope. And so when we encounter suffering, because we will, there's this sense in which our calling will sustain us in that. And the suffering itself will actually help us become the kind of people that can more deeply engage in the calling that God has for us. Ken, you were going to say something. Well, I was just going to say, it kind of speaks against the uh, God won't give me more than I can handle idea. Right? Kinda, yeah. Paul, Paul actually was given more than he could handle. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> I think he actually says that explicitly in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. That alone just took the rug out from some... <laughs> Sorry. Well, because there is. There's this idea that um, when you encounter your calling that you won't encounter suffering and that somehow it's already within you and it just comes out. And I think it touches on this difference between, you know, there's a way that we would talk about calling as students of scripture, as followers of Jesus, that is different than kind of a cultural or an Americanized idea of calling. And so we hear it all the time. Like, you know, you see somebody doing something that they're really good at and they're like, oh man, they found their calling. But that's different. The way that that's being used there is different than how we would talk about the idea of calling from scripture. And so what are your guys' thoughts on that? And how, how do you figure out the difference between a biblical perspective on calling and a cultural perspective on calling? Right. And it's, this is the relevant question, right? Because we, we tend to think that there's a, there, there's a neutral position, right? right? Either, you know, I, I, I find this calling, I find that calling, right? There's, there is a calling that God has for us. And then there is the denial of that calling. Unfortunately, I think this whole conversation has been shaped by our culture, and so what we have is an Americanized idea of calling and vocation. So all of us, whether we realize it or not, all of us carry around with us some idea of what the good life is. Right. And we believe that if, if we just follow God faithfully, we will actually have the good life. But the idea of good life is actually shaped when we have to step back and see where where is the idea of good life being shaped? So if we think about this from a cultural perspective or an American perspective, right, the good life is I'll find a job that pays me a lot of money, I'll find a spouse that loves me and will take care of me, I'll have enough to be comfortable, I'll have enough to, be, to have toys or to have friends or to not have friends, right? Uh, I will actually, if I find the right thing, I won't experience hardship or suffering 
none of these ideas are biblical. None right. of these ideas are shaped by what the Bible says is the good life. And this is very relevant because this is central to the gospel. Central to the gospel is way back in the garden, we abandoned our true vocation. We abandoned our calling. Wow. Because our calling, and I, Alex, you talked about this in the first message of the series. Our calling, first and foremost, is to be image bearers of God into his world. It is to represent him in his creation. That's our vocation. That's our calling. We said to God, no, I don't want to do that. I want to I take things, uh, you know, uh, myself, right? But our original calling, our original vocation is to be image bearers of God. Our original calling is to be worshipers, which is not singers. Right. It's worshipers. That is, that is to say, people who have organized their lives around the goodness of God. That's what it means to worship God, right? Our, our vocation is to be obedient. In other words, God actually has an idea of what it means to be human, and obedience is actually following that plan, following that plan of what it means to be human. It's part of our vocation to be enjoyers of God's creation, that we actually enjoy the world around us. To be stewards of God's creation. We take good care of it, right? To be procreators. God is a God of creation. It's, so we, we reflect his image when we participate in the creative process, right? Which includes having children, right? And he also calls us to be opposers. Not, not posers, but opposers, <laughs> Right? Opposers, in other words, part of our calling is to stand against the world's systems, That's right? right? To, to actually represent a different way to the world. Not to cooperate with the world systems, but to oppose the world systems. And biblically, there's a term for this. There's a term for this vocation, and it's royal priesthood. It's royal priesthood. In other words, we are representatives of the king, right? Standing as intermediaries between God's way and the world's way. That's, that's a priesthood. That's right. Right? Yep. And so, again, that's very different than, oh, what job am I going to have? Who should I marry? Should I go here? Should I go there? Does God want me to do this? Does God want me to do that? It's very clear what God desires. God desires for you to be image bearers of him into his world. And we need to know him well enough and understand his heart well enough to actually know what that looks like. Right? Ken, there's... Um something that we say a lot here. And let me just, if I can, put a, put a pause on this for a second. This is something we need as followers of Jesus in our life, conversation that helps lead us to the thing God is saying. I don't know that we're as biblically illiterate about what we know about God's word, but understanding its meaning and application, that's where we need help. That's where we need the community of God to come together. Um, and so, for example, we say all the time, and I even said it this morning, that for too many Christians today, Jesus is a value-add proposition to their pursuit of the American dream instead of, which he won't be, he actually won't be that, a radical redirection of our heart where he's changing us from the inside out. How does what you said make that make sense? Well, again, we, have to, we actually have to confront the idea that Jesus is an opposer, right? Jesus, we like to think of Jesus as nice and he's loving and he just affirms us and we get those warm fuzzies, right? And there's an aspect to that. But Jesus actually is an opposer. If you look at the Gospels, he was regularly opposing the things that people wanted to put on him, right? And so, 
I, I mean, I would just simply say, I don't think Jesus has any interest whatsoever in being a value add to our lives. That's right. I think he either wants to be king or nothing at all, right? That there's no middle ground there for, for Jesus, right? That's a good word. One of the things that's helped me with this question of the difference, meaning how do I know if I'm living as a royal priesthood, so my, my king is Jesus and I'm living in that kingdom, not the world, um, I look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, and if you look at the context of that, they're dealing with pretty much a lot of the identity of the culture, which would be uh, husbands and wives, mothers and fathers, kids, if you're a master, if you're a slave, and he gets to 323, and he says, whatever you do, whatever it is you do, do it as if you're working for the Lord and not men. So a lot of times, our motives is what needs to be looked at here. To what degree is what I do for me, which means everything that comes to me must be for me, and me includes my family, so my, I can't be just wrapped up in my nuclear family, but my family growing in Jesus goes and represents who God is in everything we do. That that just really, for me, has helped understand my motive. Who am I doing this for? And a lot of times, I'm exposed in that question. And the second thing that I think is interesting is we find a lot of anxiety in the world because we're living in the future instead of the present, which is anxiety, or we're living in the past instead of the present, which is where we find our guilt, and we're learning that God wants to change our guilt into grieving so that we can heal. But in the middle of that, and I, I look at Ecclesiastes, and everybody who looks at Ecclesiastes would say, it's all about meaninglessness, right? It's all meaningless. Well, that's just a real rain on your parade. It's actually not all meaningless. Meaningless here means transient. It's actually just not permanent. And the world we live in lives as if everything is permanent versus living as if it, and so when we live in the world, here's what it says in Ecclesiastes 3, uh, verse 12, I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful, to do good as long as they live, also that everyone should eat, drink, take pleasure in his toil. This is God's gift to man. So in the midst of discerning what it is, understand that wherever you are, you can be joyful, you can do good, and eat and drink and be merry because God has given us a gift in that place to be present. The world doesn't live present, and we can live present. One of the things that I just hit on is the past, right? And a lot of times we'll say, because of my past, I can't do what God wants me to do. Um, and we allow that to impact us. Or I've just been through too many painful things. Can my past or can my pain, last question, ruin my calling? Uh, I, I mean, I would say not ruin. That's not the right word. Right. I, I would say thwart or hinder my calling. And I would say that it happens in two different ways. One, it happens in just recognizing that <clears throat> I am trained to not trust God. Right? All my life, I have been trained to not trust him. Right? Mm -hmm. And so even after I step into a life of faith, there's still these parts of me that are used to not trusting God, right? And so that can be a hindrance. Is God really going to lead me? Is God really going to direct me? Is, if I head out in this direction and God wanted me there, is God really going to move me over this way, right? So we're trained to not trust him. But the other way that, that we are hindered or thwarted is that we all, you know, as a counselor, I come across this all the time. I think people are buried underneath trauma and pain and, and bad experiences and people who have uh, uh, conferred an identity on them that's not actually God's, right? right? 
Um, and, and so the, there's a process of learning how to actually pull these things off, right? So that we can step into this royal priesthood that he calls us to, right? Mm. But if I believe as a follower of Jesus that um, I'm disqualified, I'm disqualified because of my pain, I'm disqualified because, you know, of this thing that happened to me or that thing that happened to me, I'm damaged goods, so to speak, right? I'm going to be reluctant to step into that. But the reality is, is that God, God, part of God's plan is to redeem those things, right? Right. So that my story, my, 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 uh, my pain, my history actually serves my ability to be a royal priesthood. Wow. Right? And you think about yeah. how many stories in Scripture illustrate that point. Like, so you have Moses who didn't know anything about the suffering of his countrymen. He grew up in the palaces of Egypt, but then he becomes the person God uses to deliver his people. You think about Mary Magdalene, who was shunned by society, who becomes the first person to declare the resurrection of Jesus. You think about Paul, who is a persecutor of the church, who becomes a church planter. And you could look at that and be like, wow, isn't that ironic that all those things are kind of the opposite? But it's like, no, that's God taking these moments that could be shameful, and turning them into the beachheads of the work that he wants to do in the what world. What character of scripture other than Jesus is that not true of? Exactly. Every single one. Yes. That's right. And it's God is in the business of doing stuff like that. And it's such such a work of the enemy to point to those places and say, this is the thing that means that you can't be a part of what God's doing. When that is the very thing that says, no, this qualifies you for grace. This qualifies you to That's be right. a part of this when you bring it to God and allow him to heal it. That's a good word. Real quick. Ken, in first service, you said something about the Holy Spirit's work in this process as Jesus followers. Can you just comment on that again? Because we don't, we don't do this without him. Well, unfortunately, that wasn't a planned response. So I got, <laughs> actually have to think about what I said now. Well, again, I, I, it's, a matter of, it's a matter of trusting, right? It's a matter of trusting the Lord. And so, you know, can... Here's what, here's what God invites us into. He doesn't invite us into, into a life in which we get it right all the time, there in which we behave properly, right, in which we're perfect. He invites us always to draw close to him. There it is. Right? Draw close to me, draw close to me, draw close to me. That's what he says over and over again. And then he makes the changes, right? So he actually is part of the sanctification process yeah. in which we are growing in our ability to be royal priests, Right? It's the Holy Spirit's job to make that transformation. It is my job to just simply come close to him. And there isn't anything that is meant to get in the way of that. Not shame, not pain, not trauma, not, you know, I'm not good enough. I can't do this. I can't do that, right? Moses said, oh, I'm not a good speaker, right? God still figured out a way, right? He still provided a way, right? right? And so, again, here, here's the beautiful thing of God's plan. He says, just... Just draw close to me. Just draw close to me and learn from me. That's great. Right? That was it. And the power of community in that whole process, like Dave, you talked about it, and the conversations and everything that we get to have and share, and those moments where we get to be the space as a collective, as a community, coming around someone where maybe they share that shameful thing for the first time, or maybe they talk about that point of pain for the first time. And they bring this thing out into the light and they're not met with disgust or people saying, oh my gosh, how could you, but they're met with, wow, that's really heavy. And you've been carrying that for a long time and we're still with you. 
and we're not leaving you, and we're going to continue with you. And the freedom and the healing that happens in those moments when we are able to be that safe place for other people. And when we did Storyline this past spring, like that was one of the pieces of feedback that we got from so many people that participated Mm -hmm. was that to have the kind of conversations where God could step in and bring healing just because people took the time to listen and respond in love was huge. And so this is a shameless plug for Storyline this fall. So like, I'm not kidding. Like if you are interested in this, take out your phones and text Storyline to 97,000 and you'll get the info. We just started another round that filled up like that. We're starting another round in the fall that we would love for you to be a part of. And to go back to the, the question of can my past disqualify me from what God wants to, to do? We had somebody when we were doing signups this past spring, somebody I've gotten to know a little bit of their story and it's, it's a hard story. And they came up to me uh, to do registration. They said, okay, so the things that have happened to me, the things that I've done, Am I disqualified? Do I get to play with what God is inviting me to be a part of in the future because of the things that I've experienced or do I have to just kind of walk away from this? And because of grace, because of redemption, because of the work of Jesus, we are able to say nothing disqualifies you. As a matter of fact, this is the thing that qualifies you. That's good. Nothing disqualifies you. So this opportunity to step into this space with these conversations at Storyline, where we talk about God's story, where we talk about our broken identity and the beautiful identity that we were given in Jesus to talk about what it means to grieve the broken places of our story, to trust God again, because we have been trained to distrust him, and then to experience healing and step into calling. We want everybody to be a part of a community where that is taking place. So if that sounds like something that you'd be interested in, Text Storyline to 97000, follow the link. If you have any questions, feel free to ask me. Uh, We'd love to help with that. But Jeremy, Ken, thank you so much for joining us for this conversation. This has been awesome. Thank you. How many of you felt like just in that moment, God gave me something to take away and chew on? Raise your hand. Participatory. Here's what I'd love for you to do as we close. I'm going to invite the worship team up. We're going to sing one more song before we go. And this is our chance not just to sing to sing. This is our chance to take a few moments and reflect on what we just heard. I know there were several people in first service that when we said nothing disqualifies me, broke. Because for so long, that lie has loomed over them that they're disqualified. And sometimes it's because of something someone else did. Nothing, nothing from your past should negatively impact your present or future in light of the cross, ever, because of what Jesus did. That's freeing. Write that down. Take some time as we begin to worship. What did God speak? What did he challenge? What was said that struck? What did you have most defensiveness against? Because it's probably the thing God wants to transform. What is God doing in this moment? For me, I went and sat down in first service and I wrote, there is no neutral ground. I am either acting and living as a royal priesthood or I am not. And where in my life am I not? And I'm gonna go on a journey over the next few weeks and months to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal that. This is a moment where we need the Holy Spirit, not our own thought, not our own mind. We need the mindset of Christ, not the mindset of Dave. What is God wanting to say through you in this moment to you? Because he wants to begin a work. And as we sing, take some time to do that. I don't want you to feel like you have to stand right away and join in. Just be with Jesus.
We're going to begin to sing this song that says, pour my spirit out. That's what we need more than anything else is the Holy Spirit. God, we love you. We're grateful for this time. We create an altar. When significant things in the Old Testament happened, they would create an altar so they could remember. We create an altar. We need to remember because we need to have a conversation. We need transformation. We need sanctification. We need the working of the Holy Spirit. We need community. So we invite you in this moment, Holy Spirit, as we build this altar to come and help us, help us lay lies on the altar and sacrifice them for truth. We'll give you praise in Jesus' name.